Americas, live and underway here on ESPN Plus, alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salas. Right. Her, great to be with you on this October 13th. It is a Thursday, my man. Thursday. Thursday. Good thing it's Thursday. It's a busy day. How you doing? Good. Good. We're one day closer to Friday, one day closer to that weekend, which we're all very excited about. Very excited about this show as well. We got playoff previews for Major League Soccer. NWSL. Speaking of MLS, we are going to have Hani Mukhtar join us in just a little bit, the golden boot winner from Nashville SC. Tonio Valle, our colleague from ESPN Deportes down in Mexico, going to join us as well. We got a big result from Ligia to discuss, one that I will be undoubtedly very happy about. Uh, Jeff Kasuf are going to join us as well as we go over all that happened with the U.S. women's national team in the last international window. And of course, take a look ahead towards the NWSL postseason. But let's start with the Champions League and some action from Tuesday. Mexican international Chucky Lozano getting the start for Napoli in a 4-2 win over Ajax, an Ajax team that featured both Edson Alvarez and Jorge Sanchez. Chucky played 77 minutes and scored a beauty, I mean a beauty of a goal, uh, just four minutes in. A real shame that we can't show it to you. Lozano now has goals in back-to-back games for Napoli, who are through to the round of 16 in the Champions League and currently sit first in Syria. Herc, now that he's heating up, is Chucky Lozano Mexico's best goal threat for the upcoming World Cup? Seb, he may be Mexico's only goal threat for the upcoming World Cup. Now, I say this on a world's level, okay? Because if you look at the rest of the world, recognizable Mexican players, you ask anybody around the world, hey, who's a recognizable Mexican player? Today, they're probably going to say, oh, Chicharito, Chicharito. (laughs) That's a reality. Now, when you look at players who have done something at the world's level on this Mexican national team, well, it's Chucky Lozano. Mm. Chucky Lozano is the one actual player on this roster that scored a World Cup goal. Chucky Lozano, okay, listen to Chucky Lozano and what he's done since mid-September. He scores a goal against Peru. Happened to be his first goal in eight months. And since then, those 18 days, goal versus Peru, two goals, one in the Serie A, one in the Champions League, and an assist. Three goals, one in assist. Mm. He's heating up, and he's heating up at the right time, and Mexico needs him to heat up because this Mexican national team today, no Raul Jimenez, no Tecatito. Maybe Henry Martin could be your answer, but if you ask the world, Hmm. I mean, is Henry Martin the answer? It's got to be Chucky Lozano. Yeah, Chucky is back, baby. I think that's, that's the bottom line here, right, is that Mexican fans should be very excited. It's probably the best news Mexican fans have had, at least around the attack of this team. Uh, in the last, I don't know, 12, 18 months. That's how long it's been since you really felt good about anybody scoring within this group. You can go all the way uh, back to qualifying. And it's not just hurt the goal against Ajax. As you mentioned, it's, it's the goal in Syria. It's the goal for Peru. But the goal against Ajax, to me, is something very, very sweet and something we haven't seen recently from Chucky Lozano. It's an instinctive play, and it's a beautiful goal. And you see his quickness, not just in terms of his physical quickness, his quickness in terms of his speed of thought. That's the Chucky Lozano that was a decisive difference-making player. And I think, frankly, since the Gold Cup injury, we have not seen him be that player. So to see him do it and do it on this stage was very exciting. But I, and I hate to do this, I have to agree with you. Uh, as I'm trying to think of like who else might be competing with Chucky for El Tri's biggest scoring threat, I'm like, well, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him. I mean, I got basically down to Henry Martin. I mean, it's, and, and, that's not really a knock on Henry Martin, but I don't really see him playing all that much the way things are going right now. So, I mean, it, it is really like, it is it is basically Chucky, no diez mas, but Chucky los demás when it comes to the attack. And that's that, Herc, for me, is a real concern for two reasons. One, because 
Chucky Lozano, if you know he's the only guy you have to worry about at the international level, you can lock in on him. What does that, one, do to his productivity, and two, can he last, right? Because we've seen everywhere he's gone, in Europe, in Mexico, he's always one of the most fouled players in the league, and his health is always a concern. So if the other team can just focus on Chucky Lozano, that's a really big problem for Mexico. Napoli doesn't have that problem. There's a million scoring threats for Napoli. With Mexico, that's not the case, and that's my worry. Yeah, I think another worry is Chucky Lozano's in Europe. So, you know, he will stay active till then. You have mm. to bank on Henry Martin if he's going to be the mm. man, the starter at the Great nine point. position mm -hmm. to stay active till then. It's a double-edged sword here. Uh, Santi Jimenez hasn't established himself in Tata mm -hmm. Martino's eyes. Uh, Alexis Vega, he's already on vacation. Uh, Diego Linus can't get off the bench at Braga. There's some real problems for Tata Martino on the offensive front. Yeah, by the way, on the Chucky Lozano front, the rumor mill is starting to pick his name back up again. I don't know if you saw it, uh, Marca reporting there's some Bundesliga and Premier League interest. So we'll see uh, where that goes. Maybe not for the winter, uh, maybe for next summer should he leave Napoli. Let's get to the other side of that game, Herc. Ajax, who, as we mentioned, uh, featured two Mexican internationals in their starting lineup. Edson Alvarez started, played the full 90. As uh, Ajax fell to third in the group, looks like they're headed to Europa League. Jorge Sanchez did not, on the other hand, last the full match. He was replaced in the 65th minute after what we'll call a difficult night at the office against Napoli's attack, especially the man they're calling Cvaradona or Hivicha Cvaradzhelia. Uh, Herc, most are expecting Jorge Sanchez to start it right back for Mexico in the World Cup. Should those people be worried after Tuesday's performance? I'm a little worried. They should be worried, and Jorge Sanchez should be worried. Uh, Jorge Sanchez left around the 65th minute, if mm -hmm. memory serves me right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't his best outing. It was actually a not-so-very good outing. I don't want to call it a horrible outing, but he looked like he didn't want to be there. Hmm. Now, I understand the player he was going against the Georgian is one of the best players 1v1 right now at the moment in the world. I understand that. But this was really the first chance we saw Jorge Sanchez at a world's level, at a premier level, hmm. great platform, the Champions League, play against an elite talent, and he failed and failed miserably. So if you're Mexico, if you're Tata Martino, you already saw what Kevin Alvarez did against Colombia or didn't do against Colombia. Yeah. The team looked better when he came out. This leaves the door open for Julian Araujo. If I'm Julian Araujo, it's a mouth-watering opportunity, and the door's wide open for me. Is it wide again. open? Is there enough time? I mean, he's, he's out. How's he going to get back in? LA Galaxy Is playoff? he out? Is he out? If you think about this right now, Jorge I think Sanchez, it's Sanchez is Alvarez, Araujo. Well, well, it's the de facto starter because he's in Europe. But if this is what Tata Martino is seeing out of somebody at the premier level— how bad could this one be? And if you saw what this one did in a friendly versus Colombia, I don't think the door is closed for Julian Araujo like many mm. feel it is. Listen, Julian Araujo a few weeks ago, according to Fabrizio Romano, he was in the orbit of Barcelona. You don't get in the orbit of Barcelona if you're just some schmo down the street. You've got to earn <laughs> that. So this is wide open, yes. Uh, you saw what Jorge Sanchez couldn't do and maybe how overwhelmed mm -hmm. he was. Let's hope for his sake and for El Tri's sake it was a one-off thing and he learns from it, gets yep. better from it. But if not, is this really just Alvarez and Sanchez and that's it? Go home, yes. pack it in? Uh, Georgia is not in the World Cup, fortunately, so you don't have to worry about the Varadona specifically. Yeah. Uh, and I think that would, that would be a concern for, for plenty of players. A little bit more on that later. I don't know that I'm any more worried, Herc, than I was already. Like, I know Jorge Sanchez is not a perfect right back. He's a player who has had big mistakes on big stages in the past. But it's his first start in Europe. I'll cut him some... Uh, sorry, not his, his first start in the Champions League. First start with Ajax. I'll cut him some slack for that. And the other reality here is I'm... You know, 
he's ahead of Kevin Alvarez for me. He's ahead of Araujo for me. Maybe not for you, but for me, it's, it's pretty clear based on not just the move to Ajax, not just because he's in Europe, but because of what he's done at Club América and what he's done with the national team throughout the qualifying record as well. Um, and if you're worried about Sanchez, by the way, you should go back and watch what happened when AC Milan and, and Napoli played and what Paradona did to your, to your right back for the U.S. Did you, did you see that one, Herc? Serginho Dest? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on. Is this about Serginho Dest or is this about... Uh, this, this, is about? about this is about the quality of the player that gave Jorge Sanchez a nightmare. Okay. You sound like this my ex-girlfriend about... right now. What's going on? Like, <laughs> <why>? <laughs> what is going on here? Well, I, I'm bringing it up because I think there's a, there's a lot of players who would look that bad against this guy. And the reality of why Jorge Sanchez went to Europe is for these experiences, right? You went to play against this type of player, so you get better so at the international level. Worried. So you get better. You're not, I'm not worried more, because I'm not the U.S. Worried. right back also got drilled. That's I'm why not, you, the L3 fan, is not worried. I'm not more worried than I already was Angel about Di Jorge Maria Sanchez. should no, be no problem. That's why you're not worried. Listen, I got faith in Jorge Sanchez, and it's not just, not just because he's a, a proud product of Club América. Um, all right, what's next for us here on Football Américas? Ah, from the Mexican national team to the U.S. national team. Uh, more from the Champions League. Chelsea, top of the group after they beat AC Milan 2-0 Tuesday. Christian Pulisic didn't start, didn't play at all, actually. The second time that's happened in the five games since Graham Potter took over. Uh, of course, this comes just days after Pulisic started and scored against Wolves in league play. Now, uh, off the pitch, we know CP10 has a book coming out titled Pulisic, My Journey So Far, and it looks like, Herc, the advanced copies are starting to get out there, which means we're getting more and more excerpts from the book itself. Here's a particularly interesting one about the U.S. captaincy. Quote, I like to lead by example. I hope guys can see my mentality going into games and the way that I compete. I hope that they can see that and want to do the same. As long as I'm doing that, then I'm very happy, whether that's with the armband or not." End quote. Herc, uh, what do you think of these quotes first, and then uh, what do you think about Pulisic? Should he be captain of the U.S.? Okay, these quotes sound like a man who just wants to play ball. That's all he wants to do. He doesn't want to worry about the responsibility of wearing an armband and everything that entails. All he wants to do is play. That's not in his nature, and that's fair and fine. Mm -hmm. There are times throughout the history of the U.S. men's national team <clears throat> that guys like Landon Donovan wore the armband. Didn't mean he was the captain of the team. It was Carlos Bocanegra, and when he wasn't there, it was Tim Howard, and the list would go on and on. But he would wear it because he was the most recognizable face. Did he want, at times, that responsibility? No. It doesn't mean that Christian Pulisic can't be an effective player. But if I'm a player on this team, if I'm Greg Verhalter, mm. I don't want to just hand the armband around. And I know that's been a pension to his. I want somebody who actually wants this, who wants this responsibility. This team for me is Tyler Adams and Tyler Adams only. I think he's the de facto captain here. And I think Christian Pulisic very well sums it up that he doesn't want that responsibility. Look at the many, how many captains the U.S. men's national team has had under his tenure. That's insane to me. This bugs you. I know it bugs you. I was listening to a uh, clip from a Jose Mourinho interview uh, recently. He was talking about how not all captains are leaders and not all leaders are captains. I think it applies very well here. Um, I don't think we should miss the point, Herc. Christian Pulisic is very much a leader for this team. He takes a lot of the responsibility, not just in like key moments, 
you think Mexico, penalty, Nations League final. That's, that's a responsibility leadership thing. He takes a lot of the responsibility off the guys on this team from a media standpoint, from a pressure standpoint. He is also a leader, Herc, in terms of being the guy that literally did it first. This is a very young team, and all the younger guys on this team look up to Christian Pulisic because he was the first to do it at Dortmund and really like the path for this next generation. I think he has a ton of respect from the guys on this team. I think if Nobody he has the armband, I think, I think if he has the armband, you don't lose anything. I understand your points about Tyler Adams. He's far more vocal. We see him leading more, but I don't think you lose any points. I don't think you, I wait, don't think wait. the team goes downhill You're for having leading as your captain. But then saying you don't have to lead. So I'm a little confused. You can lead by example, which is what Christian Pulisic does, and that's great and fine. But when you're in the trenches, when you're in difficult moments and you need somebody to say something, to be something, an example, okay, that can be Tyler Adams. That is Tyler Adams. That's who he is by nature. Christian Pulisic is a great leader, mm. but why, but, excuse me, what he does on the field by example, but it's not in his nature to be a leader per se. Well, you talk about nature and the leaders aren't always captains, captains aren't always leaders. I would flip the same thing back to you with Tyler Adams. If Tyler Adams wasn't wearing the captain's armband, do you think he wouldn't lead? No, but we're not talking about do you want to lead without the armband. We're talking about do you want to lead with the armband. Who do you want to lead with the armband? Now, and I will concede this, and we've seen Greg Berhalter do this at times, especially with Christian Pulisic. If he feels Christian Pulisic wearing the armband gets him going mm -hmm. and can be an important player that way, that's fine. But this merry-go-round with the armband, it, it, it's disgraceful. Okay, so uh, Christian Pulisic then, uh, potentially a captain, one of many captains for the U.S. men's national team. He was also serving looks in GQ magazine, uh, Herc, and also talking about some of the nicknames uh, that he gets all the time. Let's listen in. Pulisic nicknames, here's what I have. The Hershey Hammer, the Hershey Hair, Pennsylvania Pele. I enjoy the more common ones. Pulley God, Captain America. What ones are your favorites? I don't know if I like any of those. I'm pretty much used to Captain America at this point. It's funny because there's always other Captain Americas to me, so that's fine. But I think we need a little bit more work on a good nickname for sure. Hershey Hammer? I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Uh, Herc, we saw some history made this week in the Champions League. Cameron Carter-Vickers becoming the first American to captain his club in the competition and doing so at the age of 24. It was a 2-0 loss for Celtic against RB Leipzig on Tuesday. CCV very much in the mix when it comes to the centre-back position for the U.S. at the World Cup. He was called into the September camp only to miss out due to injury. So, Herc, let's talk defence and specifically the central defence position. Why don't you give me your U.S. men's national team center back power rankings? Why don't we go six to one? Take me from six all the way up to your number one. Let's go, production. Put it up so I can get this going. Tell my man right here. All right. You got James Sands. Okay. okay. James Sands is more of a versatility player for me. That's the only reason he's on here. Uh, he's still very young. I don't expect six to go to the World Cup. There he's there. Aaron Long uh, is a tough one between him and Cameron Carter-Vickers, but we're going off form today. I would take Cameron Carter-Vickers over him. Uh, captaining the European side in the Champions League is no joke. The first one. Mark McKenzie. Mark McKenzie almost by default. It's been a better season for him at Genk. Uh, he's regained that form, so I'll put him at number three. Uh, this is realistic candidates. So no John Brooks, no Tim Ream, sure. no Miles Robinson. Miles Robinson injured, obviously. Those other two not in Greg Berhalter's plans. So then it's Chris Richards and Walker Zimmerman. Chris Richards probably 
the highest ceiling out of all of them, but Walker Zimmerman is the present today out of all of them. So it was a pretty easy choice there, at least when it came to the top two. It gets tricky after the top two. Um, okay, I got I got some questions for you here. Let me let me start with this. How many do you think go? You've got six on this list. How many center backs do you think Greg Berhalter takes or needs uh, for the World Cup in Qatar? You know, you asked me this this morning, and I think my answer is going to change. I would probably take five. Okay. Yeah. I you would, said four this morning. Why'd yeah. you change? Yeah. Well, things go awry very quickly. We saw it in the women's Euros. Like, it took a, a yeah. COVID outbreak and everything go awry, awry very quickly. Uh, you may need some cover there, so I, I would take five. Um, yeah. That's what I would do. Now, four. within those five, you have flexibility of going two center backs or three center backs in a formation. So that comes into account, and that's why a Mark McKenzie could have a lot of strength in there. Um, in the last camp, Greg Berhalter only called in four center backs, but in the in the last qualifying window, he called in five. So uh, take all that for what it's worth. Yeah. I'm interested that you have Richards at number two. He's played only 47 Premier League minutes since yeah. he went to Crystal Palace. So obviously you're not basing that on form right now. So what are you basing Richards uh, at number two at? Because that's really the spot everybody's talking about, right? Yeah. We assume it's Walker Zimmerman and whoever is number two. Yeah, there are a few factors here. The biggest one is ceiling. I just think his ceiling so much higher mm. than any other center back. Uh, he's, he's a good explosion waiting to happen. A lot of talent right there. And the second one is how you pair him with Walker Zimmerman. I've seen Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman. I've seen what I can get out of them. And the tandem, while if you're going defend only first, uh, could be effective, you're asking these guys to play out of the back. You're asking them to build your offense, uh, stay within possession, penetrate lines. That combo, you saw what happened against Japan. You saw what happened against Saudi Arabia. Two, yes, World Cup opponents, but nowhere near where you want to get to the World Cup, which is the latter phases. So Chris Richards is a great compliment to Walker Zimmerman. Now, Walker Zimmerman has gotten a bad rep, if you will, when it comes to his playing out of the back ability, but he can play out of the back in different fashions. So the way those two can play out of the back, Walker Zimmerman is long switch, Walker Zimmerman the physicality was Walker Zimmerman can give you on the offensive end of the ball and set pieces, and Chris Richards, left-footed profile, uh, clean feet, uh, penetrating balls within midfield, a good switch as well. I just think it's the partnership that complements each other the most, uh, and Chris Richards off a of ceiling alone has to be in the number two spot. Uh, Richard's got to get healthy. That, that's important right now. Uh, Patrick Vieira giving an update that uh, as of earlier this week, Richard's still not a part of group training. Yeah. So time's starting to run out on, on Chris Richards, who, of course, uh, missed out on the last window. You've got Aaron Long at number five. And obviously, Aaron Long is a lightning rod for criticism, right? If you've got him at number five, you're saying he's going, but yeah. probably not starting, Today. right? Probably an emergency use player. If he does have to start, can the U.S. win a game at the World Cup with Aaron Long as a starting center back? I've got no issue with Aaron Long starting a game in the World Cup if what you're trying to do is hold the zero, if you're not trying to build out of the back, if you're not trying to construct cleanly, if you expect the whole time that what you will be doing is defending. A player like Aaron Long, when physically fit, has shown he can be of use to you. But when you, Greg Berhalter, are asking him to do certain things that he's not doing week in and week out with the New York Red Bulls, it's a disservice to Aaron Long. It's a disservice to the U.S. Men's National Team, a disservice to yourself. And you're not going to gain anything out of that. Can he be a productive player for you at times in that setup? Sure, maybe. Will that happen probably the majority of that time? No. So if you're in a defend-first type of shell or type of mode, then Aaron Long could be a player that you can use. I mean, pre-Achilles injury, 
he was a very good player, actually a very trusted player for Greg Berhalter, and nobody had an issue with him. It's him coming back now that people have an issue with because they don't necessarily think he's been one of the better players in Major League Soccer in his position. All right, Herc, let's move from American center backs to American goalies because American goalies are popping up right now all over European competition. Let's start with Josh Cohen, the 30-year-old American who plays for Maccabi Haifa of Israel. Cohen got the start, the win, and a clean sheet in a shocking 2-0 victory over Juventus Tuesday. Now, if you don't know Cohen's story, he played Division II college ball and spent about four years in the USL before heading to Israel. He made five saves against Juventus as Maccabi Haifa earned their first ever group phase win in the Champions League. Herc, uh, Cohen is getting a lot of buzz after this performance. Is it too late to call him in for this cycle? Yeah, it's too late. Let me start off by saying what an unbelievable story and mm -hmm. an inspiration shows how you should never give up and how usually there are many different paths to get to the top. USL product uh, makes his way to to this uh, his situation right now, club situation in Israel because he has a because he is Jewish. Really, that's how he gets there. Um, unbelievable the way he's taken advantage of this platform and what he's done at the Champions League level. But it's a little too late for him. I believe he's 30 years old. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about a player right now who comes in in the final 38 days uh, uh, till the World Cup when players like Matt Turner are playing Europa League and now at Arsenal and have been in the World Cup cycle for Greg Berhalter since inception pretty much. Zach Steffen, who has been the go-to guy for Greg Berhalter, whether people like it or not, you look, all the you look at all the important games in that World Cup cycle, when healthy, he got them over uh, Matt Turner, and then you go from there, what, Gaga Salonina just got signed to Chelsea, uh, Ethan Horvat, who has waited patiently for his opportunity, and actually when he's got in, into a game, uh, was decisive, and I'm talking about the CONCACAF um, Nations League final, where he stops a penalty kick against Andres Guardado, and he turned uh, hero in that moment, Sean Johnson, who's been a confidant, it's a great yeah. story of perseverance, but it just feels like it's too late. Yeah, there's four guys for three spots. I mean, barring like two guys getting hurt, uh, it, it's probably too late here for Josh Cohen. I, I'm a little bit sad because he's. we're only starting to pay attention to him now, but he's actually been playing very well uh, for quite, quite a while yeah. in Israel. He was the Israeli footballer of the year last year, so he should have been on somebody's radar if, if the U.S. was really looking for a goalie. And we know that it was a, a big source of concern earlier in the qualifying process. What's interesting here, Herc, is... You know, we've talked about this goalie generation being one of the weakest in American soccer history. But let's, let's pause on that for a second here, because what other CONCACAF nations, what other non-European nations would have a guy starting in Champions League, getting a clean sheet against Juventus, and he's nowhere near the pool? Like, even when American goalies are down, they're still pretty damn good. You need some good spots, but how many countries have the luxury of having different passports for their nation? And that's yeah. why a lot of these guys get to go. So I understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yes, but context. Um, also on Cohen, he's now an Israeli citizen. So if the Israeli national team wants to take a look Ooh. at him, maybe it's not, uh, it's not too late for them. And at 30 years old... Um, there's still plenty of time for the next cycles, right? Goalies play till they're 40, 45 And if you know Josh uh, Cohen, old. get him on the show. Yes, yeah, yeah, we'd love to, uh, love to have him on the show. I'm sure we'll work our connections in the uh, Israeli league uh, soon enough. You mentioned Matt Turner. He had a great game today for Arsenal. Mikel Arteta said he was phenomenal, phenomenal. How about that? So uh, American goalies more than holding up their end of the bargain. Phenomenal. Okay. Speaking, Herc, of too late, that seems to be the story with another player in the American pool. Yes. 
Brandon Vasquez. Here's what the FC Cincinnati striker had to say about his U.S. World Cup chances this week. Quote, I talked to Greg right before that camp in September. He was basically saying that it was a little too late to integrate me and that he feels I made it really hard for him and that I just need to keep proving myself and that I'll have that opportunity in the next cycle. End quote. Herc, will the U.S. regret not calling in Brandon Vasquez this cycle? No. And, and ultimately, time will tell. Let me tell you why I say no. Um, if it was a situation in this current cycle where leading up to the World Cup, you didn't have a player like Josh Sargent scoring. You didn't have a player like Ricardo Pepe scoring. You didn't have a player like Jordan Pifak scoring. You didn't have a Jesus Ferreira in a career year, and that's probably where you could say, well, he should go over Jesus Ferreira, et cetera, et cetera, but he has a little bit of equity built in with Greg Berhalter. If that wasn't the case, if that wasn't the context, I would say you're going to regret this. But I can't. I also can't go against Greg Berhalter on this one. Hmm. Now explain. If I were to give Greg Berhalter, excuse me, Greg Berhalter credit on something during his tenure, it's the way he's dealt with recruitment, with dual nationals. That is the one area of his tenure where he's knocked it out the park. Mm -hmm. I think he's been exceptional in. I actually respect his honesty with these dual nationals, with these players, and whether the U.S. men's national team lives to regret losing Brandon Vasquez or not is not the issue or not the case here. You couldn't use the World Cup in a way to use a predatory cap to lock him in. And me be okay with it. Yeah. So I feel he did the right thing. Okay, I get what you're saying there. But it's to say it's too late now is to be like, well, Brandon Vasquez has been scoring since March. Like, he was scoring all summer. Yeah. There, were, there were opportunities in the spring to call him up. There was opportunities in the summer. There was the window in September. Like, to say now in September it's too late, it's like, well, you just ignored the guy all year. So I could see from the Brandon Vasquez perspective yeah. being kind of frustrated, especially her when what we saw was guys getting second and third chances after not producing when he didn't even get a first chance. Like, if I was a striker, that, that would be what bothers me most, is seeing all the other opportunities that others got, and I couldn't, I couldn't even get a call-up, man. Yeah, you know what's, what would be worse for me or what is worse for me is his skill set. Uh, this is a striker right now that can mm. score goals for you in many different ways. One-touch finishes in the box are not easy. Foot, head. But great hold-up play. There's different ways of combining in the final third, and he seems to have added that into his game, incorporated that. Uh, he's a very complete player, soft feet for his size, yeah. that gets overlooked. His skill set, how different he is, his physical attributes are unlike any other forward in this pool. That's where it gets lost to me, and I think that's unfortunate. Could he have given the U.S. a different look tactically too, right? Could you have him and another big guy up there and then go two big guys up top late in the game? or something like that. I, I just wonder if there was an opportunity missed there and if it's an opportunity gained for maybe Mexico, right? Because Mexico will surely be in the market for strikers for the next cycle, and Brandon Vasquez is eligible. So I wonder if Mexico will now take a look at him and say, okay, the U.S. passed. They gave us another year to maybe make a run at this guy. I don't know. Do, do MLS goals, do they matter down in, in Mexico? Will they pay attention to Brandon Vasquez? Do you think, do you think they know about him like, like we're talking about him? Ask Chicharito Hernandez. Ah, Chicharito Hernandez has a much different resume uh, than Brandon Vasquez, but uh, we'll leave that at that. Hey, Herc, special anniversary today. One year ago today, Serginho Dest did this against Costa Rica in Columbus. What a strike. What a strike, the haters will say he mishit it. 
Slices it off the left foot. Upper corner on who? Kaylor Navas. It's a golazo. A beautiful goal and a huge goal as well. Remember, the U.S. were down 1-0 to Costa Rica at home at the time. Things were very nervy in that stadium, but they came back to win 2-1. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. What a treat to welcome into the show, Hani Mukhtar of Nashville SC, coming off a season in which he scored 23 goals, my man. Congratulations. Great to have you with us. Thank you guys for having me. All right, Hani, I was looking through your career resume, and this isn't the first season where you've scored goals, right? You've scored goals kind of on all of the stops through your career, but never at this rate. So what happened this season for you? Yeah, I think the change we made in the team uh, with my position uh, helped me a lot to score more goals. Um, I'm high up the field, you know. Um, I used to be in my former clubs, I used to be more a playmaker, you know, dropping deep. Um, but now I'm staying high and um, trying to create chances and um, having the last pass or trying to score a goal. Well, those goals have helped Nashville get into the playoffs. It was around mid-August that not only yourself, but Nashville, the team, they caught fire. What changed with the team around August? Yeah, I think the, the, the game against Dallas was for us a, a, big, a big twist. Uh, I think we had trouble in the beginning with our new stadium. And um, yeah, I think we did very well in August. Um, we had four games, four wins in a row, and uh, that, was, that was huge for us. And um, yeah, I think the, the game against Dallas was, uh, was the major point uh, where we twisted around. 
So honey, you get to Nashville in, in 2020, which was a weird year for everybody, right? But it's also the first year for the team. Uh, I wonder how you would compare the buzz around Nashville for this team this year after you open up the new stadium. You've had now two good years of success on the field to maybe when you first got to town. Yeah, I, to be honest, I had a lot of uh, problems, like a lot of people in the world, you know, with uh, 2020. I, I moved to America, you know, a different continent, uh, far away from home. Uh, it was, everything was very new for me. Um, my family couldn't, couldn't visit me. My friends couldn't visit me because of COVID. Um, yeah, but I, I don't want to complain because the whole world was struggling and, uh, you know, we are blessed to play soccer, so uh, we have to be grateful. But uh, it was a difficult year for me. Um, I didn't play my best football, uh, like we all know. Um, but then I think in 2021, um, yeah, there, were, there was a change for me. Um, Nashville became my second home and um, I feel very happy here in the city. The whole organization is supporting me and um, yeah it's a it's an amazing story so far well that amazing story is translating on the field you've already locked the golden boot up that is yours but you have the most goal contributions all major league soccer goals and assists do you feel like the mls mvp is also yours um i think i had a good chance last year too um you know uh, carlos had an amazing season last year um yeah, I was the second. So um, I said, I thought, where I said, um, yeah, I have to, I have to um, be better next year to to get the uh, to get the MVP award. And I think uh, I I performed on a higher level than the year before. So I'm very I'm very positive and um, with all the respect to the other guy, they had great seasons. Um, but of course, I'm trying to do my best to. To, to win these awards. Honey, so you started your career at Hertha Berlin, but you've played a lot of different places, a lot of different leagues across Europe. I wonder how you would compare what it's like for an attacking player in MLS versus what it's like as an attacking player in Europe and just kind of how those levels might compare. Yeah, I mean, Hertha is my hometown. Uh, everyone knows that, you know, I grew up there. I played uh, 15 years probably um, there and uh, before I moved to Benfica. Europe is, uh, I would say, we are on a good way. The MLS is on a, on a perfect way to, to come closer to Europe, to, to the top five leagues in the world. Um, and I think um, we just have to continue what we're doing in this league. It's amazing to see what's going on, and especially with the World Cup coming um, 26 to, to the United States, I think there will be a big change and the change has already happened. So uh, it's it's good for us players, you know, me personally as a player, I want that better players coming in the league, that the level gets better and better. And then that's how we all get better as players. And that's our goal. You know, I believe it was an interview with Bill that you said that if Hansi Flick um, was interested in calling into the national mute cycle back to Germany, I'm curious in your opinion, how realistic you think it is for a major league soccer player to be called up to a team like the German national team? You know, it's funny. I, I talked a lot with uh, German journalists the last uh, couple of weeks. And um, it's just for me, when I signed here, I, the, one of the first thing I said, I, I came to the United States to, to get better as a player, not to um, come here to have a great life, to enjoy America. Um, and I think with these personal words, I showed um, to everyone that 
I'm coming here to get better, to play soccer and develop, you know, and um, now to just be in talks. Um, am I one of the 50 players to get called up, um, you know, to the camp or, you know, it's, it's an honor. And I think that should give everyone in the MLS uh, motivation that even in Europe, they're realizing this league is a good league, you know, and uh, if you do well, you have big chances. And I mean, Germany is one of the biggest nations uh, in soccer. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big um, honor for the league and for myself. Honey, people may not know this about you, but you had like a superstar career with the German youth national teams. You won a U19 a European title plan for Germany. So it's not like you're new to the, to the German soccer fan, right? People know who you are. Uh, I wonder, do you ever feel like you have unfinished business back in the Bundesliga? Like, do you want to go back? Is that the logical next step in your career? Um, I mean, I don't have to go back necessarily, you know, um, uh, great career. I'm happy right now where I am. Um, but of course, um, you know, when you have like people said like, yeah, he didn't make it in the, in the German Bundesliga, you know, like, of course me with my ambitions, I say like, Hey, I know that I have the quality to, to show it everyone, you know? Um, but do I have to go back? Definitely not. You know, I feel, uh, very good where I am right now. So um, we will see what happened in the future, and um, we have we have great things to achieve with Nashville. All right, let's talk about those great things to achieve with Nashville. Uh, let's focus on the Galaxy. Big game this weekend, uh, MLS Cup playoffs. You've already beaten one LA team this weekend, this past weekend, LAFC. You're going to go against the Galaxy. That's one of the hottest teams right now in Major League Soccer. One loss in their last 11 games, I believe. Tell me about this matchup. Yeah, to be honest, uh, I think we we never struggled so much in two games uh, against one opponent. Um, I think they dominated us both games. We have to be honest and realistic enough, but um, we know what we have to do better. We know about their strengths, you know. Uh, we, we watched a lot of videos and uh, I think if we can do small things right, you know, and be patient, uh, we can really hurt them. And um, they, they, they have great players. They have uh, a really, really good philosophy, in my opinion um how they want to play but you know we are capable to to hurt these teams you know with our transition moments and uh, we have to be sharp enough and use our chances and when we get them to to have that killer instinct and um yeah then we we can um come back to Nashville with uh, with the win you mentioned those special players on the galaxy one of them is ricky pooch and there was such a reaction when this player a young player with maybe some might say a career path kind of similar to your own decided to come to major league soccer i wonder what your reaction was when you saw ricky pooch coming down MLS. and did you think like hey i might have been the example that kind of set for a guy like this to come and and, and restart his career yeah like you said that's you know it's it's amazing for me to see you know such a great talent you know was uh, named to be one of the biggest talent in the world you know and uh, he's coming with in an early age to the major league soccer to because um, he believes that he can develop here and that's that's an honor and I think that shows how how great the league works you know that that players like him um, or other players you know very talented players uh, Fagundo Torres from Orlando you know these high talented player they're coming to to major league soccer to get better you know like you're not coming with 23 years old or 21 you know like to coming here like oh, okay i want to have a good life no we all worked hard you know we have a we want to have a good career especially in that age you know and that's 
that's an excellent sign for, for this league um, that we are on the right path. Listen to this, Sebi. Goal since August. Hani Mukhtar, 11, the most. Tied, Javier Hernandez, Chicharito Hernandez, 11 goals since August. Two of the premier goal scorers in this region on display this weekend. Tell me what you see in Chicharito Hernandez when you watch him play. Man, Chicharito, uh, I said that at the All-Star game. He's, uh, you know, he's a legend. He, he played for Manchester United, Real Madrid. These are... Uh, two of the biggest teams in the world and um, you know you have to you have to show respect you know you have to give respect to to players like that um, you know what I love about him is like his running ways you know I think and I'm not like um, like saying that to to make him you know bigger than he is or something like his running ways for me are the best in the world I haven't seen and I watched a lot of players like his movements without the ball to to receive the ball in the space um, are very level and um, I think these kind of things not everyone sees that you know but uh, me as a player I want to get better and then I watch players like him to do these things and try to to do it myself you know and um, but in the end um, I play an opponent team and uh, I mean I don't care who is on the other side you know I want to win the game I understand it. Honey, just really quickly, your, your reaction. I mean, Liga MX, Mexico is a big footballing, um, I guess, culture here within the United States. They have that. And there's been a lot of talk about Javier Hernandez and him not even being included in the lead up to the World Cup or the World Cup cycle with Mexico. Maybe just your brief reaction of what you've seen from Mexican footballing culture and Javier Hernandez not being included in the Mexican national team. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you have to respect always the decision of the coach. Um, I'm not very involved in, in that. Um, but for me, a player like that, you, you do nothing wrong with take him to the squad for the World Cup. You know, he can, he can score goals. And uh, we all know that the most difficult part in our game is to score goals and to create chances. So I don't, I don't see uh, any argument against it to, to not take him, you know. Um, but... Like I said, I'm not very involved in the in these things, and um, I'm concentrate uh, on on doing my stuff and getting into the German national team. You know, but uh, there you go. <laughs> I really, I I really rate him high. Yeah, honey, you say it's difficult to create chances and score goals, but you made it look so easy this year, my man. Uh, congratulations on a great season and good luck this weekend in the playoffs. Get paid, honey. Get so paid. Much. <laughs> say it louder, say it louder. <laughs> Thank you guys for me. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! Playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely.
MLS playoffs about to get underway. Here's a look at the Eastern Conference bracket. Red Bulls FC Cincy, New York City Inter Miami, Montreal Orlando, and then Philadelphia Union getting the bye. What about out west? You know LAFC, they won the Supporter Shield. As well as the number one spot in the Western Conference, Galaxy Nashville, just talked about that one. Dallas, Minnesota, Austin against RSL. Some real interesting matchups as we head to the MLS postseason. Speaking of interesting, Herc, we got some shots fired from Inter-Miami manager Phil Neville and his owner, Jorge Mas. We'll start with Neville talking about Inter-Miami's situation having to play New York City FC. And the problem is they don't know where. First it was Red Bull Arena, and now it turns out it's City Field. Quote, it's not a preseason scrimmage. This is a playoff game. In four years' time, we've got a World Cup coming to this great country, and I think things like this need to be looked at because this is organization. It has nothing to do with football. Jorge Mas, the owner, he had this to say. No way this game is being played at a baseball stadium that isn't their home field. If they don't want to play at a soccer-specific stadium, they should move it to the Meadowlands instead. Herc, are Miami shots at New York City warranted? Uh, yes, uh, at least on Jorge Mas's side. I, I don't know about Phil. I don't know what the World Cup has anything to do with this. This is, <laughs> this is not four or five years away. This is a week away, and it's more yeah. logistics. It is what it is in that case. But, yeah. but the sentiment is true. Because your players, your organization, the families, the fans, they need to know where this game is. They want to go. They want to be part of this. It's logistics. It should get sorted. And you can't say we can't play in one baseball field, so we're going to go and guess what? Play in another baseball field. Like, how embarrassing is this for Major League Soccer? This is what is embarrassing. Not the World Cup being here in four years and you not getting the logistics right. It's this. Mm. It's embarrassing for Major League Soccer. It's got to be sad if you're a New York City FC fan, right? You lost your best player, you lost your coach, and now your biggest games, you, you don't know where they're going to be played, and, and there's a chance they could be played in your rival's home venue. Like, this is the state of a New York franchise, Herc, uh, in Major League Soccer. This is so, so sad that we have to do this. I wonder from an Inter-Miami standpoint, though, if it's a little bit reckless to do all this complaining. I'll never forget what Shaka Hislop always says on ESPN FC. If you give players an excuse, they'll take it. Is Inter-Miami making some excuses here? I think he may be playing head games. I don't know who the excuses are for. Hmm. I think they're trying to put pressure on New York, uh, trying to get them riled up. I don't know if it's an excuse for them. Listen, regardless of where it is uh, or which baseball stadium it will be in, it's still going to be tight confides. It's still going to be against a, a New York team that knows how to play in those elements. And you're inner Miami. You really weren't supposed to be here, but you are. So make the most of it. All right. But, Herc, we have a World Cup coming up in four or five years. Like, how, how can we not have an MLS stadium uh, ready Damn for you, a playoff New York. game? Five years away. All right. So let's focus in on a, a couple specific playoff games that we're interested in here as we book it, try to make some picks that will make you guys some money over the weekend. Herc, you're focused in on the Western Conference, specifically Austin against RSL. What you got? Yeah, all right. So, uh, money line, take Austin, because uh, Salt Lake has won one in the last six, game, uh, six games. I know it uh, <coughs> happened to be the last one, but Austin in front of that amazing crowd playoff uh, atmosphere, it'll be buzzing. I think they'll get, they get that going. Excuse me. Now, here's where it gets good. The prop bet. I'm ah. going to take Austin, okay? Austin FC team goals over Two and a half, and that's going to pay you plus 225. Why? Out of the 17 home games they played there, nine of them, count them, nine of those home games were three or more goals for Austin, and that includes a 3-0 thumping of this very 
same Salt Lake team back in September. I, I, I like the, the over as well when it comes to goals for Austin. I just think that place is going to be buzzing. All right, so you see a pretty easy win here for Austin is what no, I'm reading. No, no, no. I see three goals and a win. Okay. I didn't say okay. easy win. All right, so maybe some drama there. I thought RSL, <laughs> I really didn't think, yeah, I wasn't sure what to expect from RSL on decision day. They played really well. Maybe it was Portland playing really bad, but they played really, really well in that game. And, and I think I give them a little more chance here than I would have a week, abo- uh, a week ago before we saw them play. So you did the 2-7 matchup in the Western Conference. I'll do the 2-7 matchup in the Eastern Conference, which will be uh, Montreal, the two-seed, against Orlando City, the seven-seed. So my pick here is Montreal to win and over two-and-a-half goals, which pays out at plus 165. Uh, look, here's the thing. Uh, Montreal does every once in a while keep a clean sheet. Most of those clean sheets, at least from August on, have come against teams that are no longer in the playoffs, right? Your New Englands, your DCs of the world. Uh, Orlando City, I think, has one clean sheet in their last nine. So there's there's not a lot of data here that suggests either of these teams are going to keep a clean sheet. I think you're going to get goals from both, but I think Montreal is pretty clearly the favorite here. A lot of people are saying they're the best threat to get to get Philadelphia in the Eastern Conference. I know you agree with that. I think you've said that here on this show before. I got Montreal winning over two and a half. You agree? Yeah, I I agree. Uh, Over two and a half goals in this game, I agree. Montreal winning, I think I also agree. They're just, uh, what Nancy uh, Wilfred has done out there has been nothing short of amazing for Montreal. Sure. Coach of the year uh, candidate, no doubt. But can't can't count out Orlando City, especially in a knockout competition. You and I were there. We saw them uh, cap off the Open Cup, so we know. They're good in this format. All right, there's the schedule. Sunday, 3 p.m. on ABC. It's Austin against RSL. That one available for you as well on ESPN Deportes. And then Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Coverage starts on ESPN and ESPN Deportes. Montreal against Orlando City. Great MLS playoff action coming your way this weekend. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. All right, from some beautiful images of Estadio Azteca to a beautiful image, at least for Club America fans, from Estadio Cuauhtémoc, that's where Club America, Liga MX's top overall seed entering the playoffs, destroyed Puebla 6-1 in the first leg of their quarterfinal matchup on Wednesday. For more on this, we're thrilled to welcome into Football Americas none other than Tonio Valle, our colleague from ESPN Deportes 
a noted Puebla fan. Tony, I'm so sorry for your loss. Oh. You're not that sorry. Your smile doesn't say you're sorry, Sam. I mean, you not say it enough. and your words say it, but you have like this huge smile that definitely <laughs> contrasts with what you're supposed to be telling me. So I'm not buying it. Don't go that way. Don't go that way because I'm not buying it. Yes, yes. The uh, Cheshire cat grin uh, definitely gave it yeah. away. Yes. Okay, so we won't focus on Puebla then. We'll focus on America and the six goals they scored. Uh, what's been the reaction down there at ESPN Deportes? And what's your big takeaway from this game and really a, a performance that I think a lot of people might have expected, uh, but not the really? goals, not not the blowout yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, America America's the favorite for a reason, right? Yeah, I don't think we can take Puebla out of the equation, Seb, because it was Puebla's big, big, big mistakes that ended up with America scoring that amount of goals. Puebla started winning the game and when the 1-1 one, one goal came, it seemed like it could shake Puebla up because America had the ball, because America was closer to Anthony Silva's goal. And uh, there were some defensive errors in that first goal. So it seemed that it was going to be the goal that could wake Puebla up so everything would go back to normal. But it never really happened. The second goal was another big, big mistake. Lucas Maya had probably one of his worst games wearing La Franja. Actually, Puebla chose the worst moment of the season to have its worst game of the season. And America will just keep pushing the pedal. America didn't step back. America kept going forward. And that's why the goals didn't stop coming. But it was, uh, it was. I mean, we have to give America all the merits that they did and all the credit that they take because they kept going forward. But we cannot put, uh, we cannot uh, leave outside of the conversation that Puebla was very, very responsible with the things that happened last night. Yeah, okay. They were irresponsible. I, I get it. it listen, Puebla's only lost two games at home all season. Mm -hmm. Guess versus who? Club America. Club America is just one step ahead right now in terms of talent, in terms of cohesion, in terms of level of what is Puebla. And we understood this. So we knew that Puebla had to do something because a tie did them no good. You couldn't tie the series and advance because the tie goes to the table. In this case, the leader, overall leader, is Club America. But Tonio's right about the individual mistakes. Silva let it, let it coughing one up. Silva, who doesn't come out in the first goal versus Valdez. Araujo twice uh, keeping yes. a, man on, a man on side. And they take advantage of these goals. But what about the other shots? There was 11 shots to one, Tonio. This is a game where Club America dominated and dominated handedly, whether it was... Uh, Fidalgo in the midfield, he had a shot that went off the post. Whether it was outside in the wings with Jonathan Rodriguez. Sendejas, who was unplayable all night. Henry Martin, who scored two goals, who continues to be one of the MVPs of this season. They were just on another level. And the biggest mm. X factor here, we talk, and in this series, everybody was talking about Larcamón. Nicolás Larcamón. He could be the difference. It was Tan Ortiz. It was Tan yeah, Ortiz who ate his lunch. Yeah, it was. Wow. Yes, yes tomorrow that. and yesterday, a horrible, horrible game for a player that everybody says is going to play for America next season, Israel Reyes. Israel Reyes had a horrible yeah. yep. game last night with Mancuello, no, who's not necessarily a very fit guy. So he plays in the middle of the field. And what you were saying, Herc, with uh, Richard Sanchez, with Pidalgo going and doing whatever they wanted to do through the middle, it was a lot because of these two guys that were the balance of Puebla during the season, but last night they were overwhelmed and Larcamón never had the chance or never found the way to correct those things in the middle of the field. Her giving Dan Ortiz some credit. Look at that. Uh, some, something uh, that was a first <laughs> here on 
Football Americas. Uh, listen, as far as America is concerned, I was watching Ahora Nunca, Herc. I do. I watch you everything that you do. You were talking with uh, Barack <laughs> Fever, and he asked you a question that you couldn't answer before the, the first leg of this quarterfinal about what was different about this America than the Americas of the past that haven't been able to, to do it in La Liguilla. Um, I think we saw that last night, right? They were contundente. They, they, they were very, very clinical whoa, here. They scored whoa, 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 six whoa, whoa, goals. Whoa, 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 whoa. You want me to answer that question right now? Because in order for there to be a difference, they need to get past Pachuca, which they have yes. not yeah, done they the do. last two yeah, playoff editions. Yeah, in in either of the last two Ligas, have you ever seen America come anywhere close or even the last regular seasons under Solari to what we saw last night in terms of quality? Have you ever seen it? No. Have, they ever, have they ever had a nine they can rely no, on? Like no, now, for, but, the last, but for the last three, four seasons, Seth, we've been asking Seth, who's the me, nine of America. Now it's Henry up. Martin. It's a doblete every game. Let me sum this up is this a different America you. than uh, years you're, you're past. Right. Let me sum up this game for you, okay? In the last five seasons, there have been two clubs to make every single postseason for the last five seasons. Club America, okay? And the club they just beat 6-1 to one last yep. night. Yep. Yeah, so give America some credit. Finally. So we Thank do you. give them credit, but I think um, el americanismo is making a huge mistake by just thinking that last night it was all America. Yeah. I mean, they did take apart, uh, they did, uh, they, they were contundentes, and when they yeah. were found themselves in front of goal, yes, yes, they were very, very accurate. But you can't, I don't think we'll see any team play in this liguilla like Puebla played hmm. last night. And again, I'm not taking credit off America. I want to make that very, very clear. Feels like it. Puebla <laughs> played a game that you cannot have a game like this at Liguilla. You just can't do that because yeah. things like what happened yesterday occurred. Uh, last point on this, sir, because you and I were texting about it last night. This America is also very, very deep. The dudes yeah. they were bringing off the bench last night, um, uh, maybe that's not something that they've had uh, in the past either. Uh, let's move on to the second yeah. game from last night. Not quite as many goals as we got in America uh, <laughs> against Puebla. It was Cruz Azul against Rayado. So Cruz Azul finishing seventh in the table, Rayado second just behind Ame. Uh, first leg was at Estadio Azteca. Not a whole lot in it, just three shots on goal total. That's for both teams combined. The game ends in a scoreless draw. Second leg will be uh, in Monterrey on Saturday night. So, Tonio, uh, is this series now Rayados to lose, or do you think, like, Cruz Azul are still alive and well in this as we head north? I mean, I mean, they're alive. They're alive, and they have to win at Monterrey, but I think it's just Monterrey's uh, to lose. Uh, Sam, I expected to see a Rayados team that was closer to what we saw at the middle of the season, at the end of the season, Bucetich, let them flow a little bit more, let them go up front a little bit more, and it didn't happen last night. So it could be their biggest mistake because I think that in the beginning of the season when Monterrey didn't quite convince us, it had to do a lot with the strategy of, an, of a head coach that we know likes to play this way. I think Bucetich went back to Bucetich's uh, original version, and that's why we saw what we saw uh, last night at Azteca. But I think, I think in Monterrey, I think we're going to see Rayados play a little bit more to what we saw in the last part of the regular season. I mean, they're not going to be overwhelming. They're not going to score three goals, but I think they're going to, uh, I think the, the break won't be on uh, throughout the game. And that's, that's very good news for, for Rayados because their best assets play from the middle of the field up forward. It's funny. You say you thought he was going to unleash the hounds, if you will, up front, but this is the same Monterrey team. That's been the best defensive team in Liga MX this season. This is where I think he made his mistake. Cause I agree with you, Tonio. He played too conservative, conservatively. Yes. Uh, El Rey Midas 
thinks he has the master blueprint to bring and racking all these uh, trophies, all these, all these uh, credits, if you will. But the mistake here is Cruz Azul. Cruz Azul is a team that you can't leave alive. Cruz Azul goes two ways with this Cruz Azul. With Potro <laughs> Gutierrez is Cruz Azul. Now, you're going to go into a venue that has its own house of horrors. Okay? Yeah. Since they brought open that stadium the last seven years, there have been some fracasos mm. in big moments mm. on that field. They lost to Tigres, a championship in Liga MX. They lost to Pachuca there, a championship in Liga MX. And to this very same Cruz Azul team, they lost a Copa MX final 2-0 there. It's been done. You should have scored on them because now it's 0-0 and everything to play for. I do think Potro Gutierrez, nothing to lose, everything to gain, both personally and collectively. Uh, nobody is uh, waiting for that Rayados failure more than Herc, not just with his Tigres ways, but he has, as we've told you again and again, been calling it since the beginning of the season, issues uh, with Rayados. Let's see if they can survive it against Cruz Azul. All right, let's move to the story that rocked Mexican soccer earlier in the week, and that is, of course, Chivas, who are now out of the postseason after falling in the repechaje. Uh, what's the fallout from that? Well, the sporting director is gone. Ricardo Pelaez and the team parting ways earlier this week. Donio? What do you think? Is this the right move for Chivas? And beyond that, what is next for this historic club that has fallen on very difficult that's a, times? That's a great question, Seb. I mean, this had to be done. There was no way Ricardo Pelaez could continue because Ricardo Pelaez had to take a step aside a couple of months ago, probably a year ago. He never, I, we never really understood why Amaury Vigara was able to uh, put uh, uh, Marcelo Michele Año as the head coach. Ricardo Peláez made the word interino with this same intonation, interino. He made it famous because when Marcelo Michele Año assumed the coaching job at Chivas, he made it clear that he wasn't going to stay. And he stayed and he, and he stayed at the team and, we, and he was also offered a contract renewal. And it didn't really make sense that Peláez wanted to do this. And Ricardo Cadena didn't really seem like the head coach that Ricardo Peláez would want on a team, especially when his neck was on the line. So he had to go. The question with Chivas is not necessarily who comes afterwards, because Chivas has a lot of problems. Chivas has a lot of questions. Chivas has a lot of issues. And I don't think there's just one person right now that can come take the seat and uh, be able to fix everything. So I don't think, sorry for all the Chivas fans that are probably celebrating right now, Ricardo Pelaez's departure. I'm not saying he had, his, he, he had the answers. He, he definitely did. But I'm not sure there's just one person out there that can fix Chivas' problems in, in short term. Yeah, there's really only two things that could fix Chivas' problems. Uh, either, either you no longer play with Mexican players only, and it's foreign players as well. Or you get Liga MX to drastically reduce the number of foreign players per club. That's well, the only way. Starts working, but that's not something that's going to happen well, in the short term. Well, that's the only way you're going to get competitive because this life for Chivas has shown you that the best Mexican players don't. They don't longer see Chivas as an attractive destination. That's not happening. You've got the level B and C players of Mexican football of that talent level coming to Chivas. And if you're not doing the Fuerzas Básicas, the academy, if that's not coming to fruition, well, one of those two things has to happen. Tonio, you said this has to happen. This had to happen. Peláez leaving. But it, it almost sounds like you're saying it had to happen for Peláez. Like he couldn't do the job that he needed to do at Chivas. And I'm a Chivas fan. I'm looking at the three people involved here. The owner the head coach, and the sporting director. The owner and the head coach have zero positive experience under their belt. 
And the sporting yeah. director has won in other places. If I'm a Chivas fan, this is the last guy I wanted to walk out the door because to me, but it's almost an indictment of Chivas. Allowed first Marcelo Michele and you to sit on Chivas bench and then said, you know what, you're going to stay a little bit more. And when he finally left, he said, now, you know what, Ricardo Cadena is going to be the head coach. I mean, the experienced person, the guy that was supposed to stand up to Amaury Vergara and say, no, I know how to do this. I've worked at the yep. Mexican national team. I've worked at Cruz Azul. I've worked at America. Let me do my thing. He wasn't able to do it. So he had to go. And Ricardo Cadena is going to go in a couple of days. And, well, Amaury Vergara is going to stay because he's the owner. But, <laughs> but Ricardo Pelaez was the, was the person that was responsible to change this. And he just folded his hands. He just sat down and watched everything come to part. Look, uh, if Pelaez can't tell Amaury Vergara, no, you're going to have to find somebody with a better resume in Mexican soccer to do that. So I I'll, wait. I'll wait for the name. I, I don't think there's a, a whole lot of them. All right, let's get to one more thing here. Last but certainly not least, Donio, and that is the situation with Raul Jimenez, who has left Wolves to head back to Mexico and continue his rehab, hoping to get fit ahead of the World Cup. Give us the update here. What's the latest and how much talk is there down there about the possibility of Raul Jimenez actually missing out on this World Cup and what Mexico would do if he does? People are really worried. People are really worried. As of this moment, uh, people are starting to... Uh, Imagine the World Cup without Raul Jimenez, uh, Seb. Of the last few days in social media, and if you talk to a lot of people that work here in Mexican football, they'll all be posting videos of Raul Jimenez a couple of years ago, and he was like a top five scorer in the Premier League, and everything was uh, looking like he was going up, and he was going to even change teams and get a, a better team. Now people are really, really worried because it seems like he starts getting on track and physically he's feeling better and then he goes back down and then the problems appear again. And that, those, that's not the only problem with Raul because when he's been fit, he hasn't been that uh, striker that we know he can be. So I think people are starting to see the Mexican squad without Raul Jimenez using the number nine shirt. Yeah, let me tell you what's worrisome here is that Wolves let him walk out the door and continue his rehab with the Mexican national team. Mm -hmm. That to me tells me that Wolves who right now is in the relegation zone and has only scored three goals as a team is saying you're shut down until winter or until after winter and there's yep. nothing we can do for you. Maybe the Mexican national team can do something. Mm -hmm. They don't expect them to be back. So if they don't expect you to be back by winter, what good is he going to be to the Mexican national team? This is worst case scenario for me for Raul Jimenez. Mm. Yeah, Yonde Luisa, the president of the Mexican Federation, uh, in a press conference saying there'll be a test in 15 days' time. After they have that test, they'll have a lot better idea whether Raul Jimenez can play. There he is, Tonio Valle. Great to have you with us here on Football Americas. Thanks so much. I know you got a, a National Hockey League game to call, yes. so, so go get to it, my man. Always great to All have right. you with us. All right, guys. Always Anybody a pleasure to talk to you. There he is, Tonio Valle. Uh, of course, NHL on ESPN+. Plus. So is La Liga, El Clásico. Sunday, 10.15 a.m. Eastern time. Coverage starts in English and in Spanish. Real Madrid against Barcelona. Don't miss it.
For the first time in more than five years, the U.S. women's national team has lost back-to-back games. Joining us to discuss more, Jeff Kasouf. You can find his great writing over at ESPN.com. Jeff, great to have you with us here on Football Americas. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, thank you for having me again. All right, so we know the story around the U.S. women's national team. Obviously, last week was very difficult with everything that came out around the Sally Yates investigation. But we also know, Jeff, the story around this Spanish national team is they were without 15 of their key players who are having a standoff right now with the Federation and their coach. So provided all that context, just how bad is the result and the performance for the United States against the Spanish team? Yeah, it was bad, Sebi. I mean, there are losses that you can kind of take away from and say, okay, you know, maybe some positives. I think even that England game, maybe if you're looking at it optimistically, you say, okay, maybe we walk away with a 2-2 draw if it's not for that bogus offside call. This Spain game I thought was pretty lifeless from the opening whistle from the U.S. Uh, obviously, the set-piece goal they give up, the missed mark on the second goal, really never threatened in this game in any capacity. And and I think that's the thing that you come away, especially after the loss to England, the Spain side here, which a B team, a youth team, really, a very young and inexperienced team. And yes, as you said, the context of the Yates report. I think we can all empathize with how that weighed on U.S. players, but um, this is a loss that you come away with really having to ask some more existential questions about how are things working and is this the right course that we're on headed toward the World Cup? But Jeff, specifically the attack, I mean, against Mm -hmm. England, only two shots on goal, same versus Spain. I know there are some key pieces missing in that attack, but what can be done to kind of kickstart this offense? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the strengths of this U.S. team, both in depth and quality, are on the wings. So you start talking about the system, and I think there is a real question here of if this 4-3-3 is working. It's about five, six years now of of playing in this system, and um, you need a system that that utilizes these wingers. Mallory Pugh, who didn't play in these games, is, is a big miss. Sophia Smith got moved into the nine because Alex Morgan was missing. So, you know, something uh, – those wings need to be utilized. Um, so – you know, then you get into this conversation of, you know, do you switch to a four-two-three-one? Because I, I think, um, Herc, I, I think the midfield for me is the big concern, and it's not a talent problem because you've got Rose Lavelle in there, Lindsey Horan, you've got Andy Sullivan has taken on that that number six role. Individually, there's not a talent problem, but it hasn't clicked and it hasn't come together. So, you know, th- there has been a lot of conversation. You know, do you need a double pivot there? What does that look like? But you move those pieces around and you might start talking about sacrificing that great wing play. And I think that, you know, that's a real concern um, if, if you're black on Anofsky. So for me, I think that the midfield needs needs real addressing and that will help the attack. You look at our ESPN stats and info folks, no through balls, successful through balls for the U.S. in three straight mm. games. I mean, that is, that's a problem for me that's deeper than that front three. Mm. Uh, Jeff, the FIFA rankings came out today. The U.S. still uh, number one, still the top team in the world, according to FIFA. I feel like before this window, if I would have said, hey, the U.S. are our favorites to win the World Cup, uh, I might have got some pushback, but it's a pretty <laughs> fair statement. Now, after this window, it's, like, it's hard to even like think about saying it, but I'll ask it to you. Um, are the U.S. still World Cup favorites? No. And I don't think, I think you would have got a lot of pushback, you know, even before that. But yeah, I think, you know, you look at the form of England and obviously the head to head that, that just occurred. Uh, I thought we speak about that midfield again. I mean, England player for player in midfield, I thought was, 
spectacular against the U.S. and really dominated that game. I mean, they almost threefold outpassed them, um, obviously outpossessed them significantly. So, you know, I, I don't see the U.S. as favorites. I think that, you know, we've talked about it through these through this year, really, in this generational transition of does this team still have a fear factor? I don't think teams are scared of this particular U.S. squad. Obviously, the turnover in players, it's not the same U.S. team that it's been for the past decade, really. So I think you have to look at England as, as certainly a favorite champions of Europe and the form that they're in. You know, can the U.S. take something from this and, and maybe rally around it? I think they did that in 2015 to a degree. 2019, I think they were clear favorites. 2015, not so much. But, you know, again, very different group and a very young group that hasn't been through this before, save from, you know, a few veterans. So I think we're at a point here where, you know, we expected to have a, a challenge for the U.S. in a tough friendly like this. We want to see how they respond. We'll see that in two games upcoming against Germany. And, you know, I think it's going to be a real test for how this relatively young and inexperienced group responds because they haven't been in a pressure moment like this before. Well, tough news for the U.S. Uh, women on the field. Uh, some bad news as well for NWSL off the field. Jeff, what can you tell us about the Orlando situation who Orlando just fired their head coach and assistant coach? <laughs> Yeah, Amanda Cromwell, head coach, and Sam Green, Green assistant coach, uh, suspended since June. And uh, the only information we had in June really was retaliation. We actually got, you know, by the NWSL standards, uh, a pretty transparent report in uh, the termination that came through this week for both of those coaches. And you look at it, and and I think the big thing here is the retaliation because the league lays out that they were both given a written warning in March for uh, what the league said was favoritism and verbal abuse. And then after that came the retaliation, according to the league's investigation, which was uh, both coaches uh, acting in such a way that, that seemed to be retaliating against players that they thought reported them. And I think that's the big thing uh, in this league where there has been that culture of silence and, and that um, inability of players to feel like what they've said and reported has been uh, heard by executives and, and really acted upon. So, you know, it's it, the key there is the retaliation. And it should be noted that Amanda Cromwell did say she thought, uh, at least in a statement, she said that she thought that the investigation lacked uh, transparency and was unfair and that she'd be pursuing her legal options. But, um, you know, a pretty definitive statement from the league uh, in in this this termination of her contract all right jeff playoffs kicking off this weekend we got kansas city against houston and we have san diego against chicago which for me is really the very interesting matchup because you know we're just talking about the u.s women's national team well they didn't have alex morgan they didn't have mallory Pugh. so those are the two stars for san diego and chicago kind of what's their status ahead of these quarterfinals and, and how do you see that game shaking out <laughs> Yeah, so Morgan, I think, is the big question mark. And we talked about this last time I was on, the three of us. You know, San Diego, the form is a question. The injuries are a question coming into this playoffs, I think, throughout the season. Arguably the best team, you know, wire to wire. But Alex Morgan injured the past two games. Taylor Korniak missed the last game. Abby Dahlkemper's been out. So major questions right up the spine of this wave team. And I think if they're missing all of them or any number of them could pose a, a serious problem for them, even being at home and being the higher seed. So, you know, I, I think a lot of San Diego's hopes here hinges upon Alex Morgan, scored almost half of their goals this season. So really the attack has relied on her and, and it's unclear how healthy she is. I don't think we'll really get that answer until, until game 
time. I think Casey Stoney will keep that close to vest. And then Mallory Pugh missing those U.S. games for family reasons is, is what we know. So um, I think we're expecting her to, to be there for Chicago Sunday. No reason to believe otherwise. So, you know, I think it'll be interesting. Those two are the clear sort of MVP candidates for me. Mm. And for them to be facing off in the first round of the playoffs, I think will be hopefully, hopefully they're both on the field and very exciting for fans. Okay, Jeff, those two are the clear MVP candidates for you. Who's your MVP, Jeff? <laughs> Look, I wrote this a little bit before the end of the season uh, on ESPN.com. Um, Alex Morgan, for me, gets the slight edge. I did write that the a few hours before Mallory Pugh went and scored twice and assisted two goals. So uh, I don't know, maybe maybe she had a little extra motivation there. Uh, it's super tight. I'm going to stick with Morgan. I will say it's interesting for those who are voting, and I do have a vote. Um, we haven't voted yet. So these two going head to head, it is a regular season mm. award, but I wonder Ooh. how much maybe Pew could, you know, tip the scale on this vote a little bit for uh, a, yeah. a media that hasn't voted yet. Yeah. Shout to uh, Sophia Smith as well. Had a, a great yes. season with yeah. 14 goals, probably an MVP candidate in her own right. There he is, Jeff Kasuf. Great stuff, man. Appreciate you coming on here on Football Americas, and we'll read more of your work over at ESPN.com. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Great stuff from Jeff. As we wrap up this edition of Football Americas, Herc, another record edition of the show, bro. You, you okay? You yeah. tired over there? I'm going to head over to Bestie's Bar in a bit, get myself a drink. Look at that. You know about the that. mayor of Hermosa Beach. You know about that. Hercules Gomez. All right, that's it for this edition of the show. We'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Adios. You coming to L.A.? Soon. Next week. Next week.